we're going to give you last week's news today. Um, that's, so a great it's, um, that's a slogan we should put on the t-shirt. <laughs> last week's news today. Hi, I'm Andy. And I'm Roger. And welcome to The Middle. Where we try to have thoughtful conversations. About awkward topics. On our search to find The Middle. announced the death of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. I act as if God exists. Put your masks on. How dare you? You have stolen my dreams and my childhood with your empty words. Andy, how you doing? Uh, yeah, it's still getting over post-holiday blues. How about yourself? Oh, man, yeah. My, my post-holiday blues was severe because I came straight back into the madness of the kids and everything and then the last week's school holidays. So, it was really tough for me. And then I got sick again and I'm still getting over cold. So, apologies for my nasal voice. But yeah, I feel like with three kids, you're just always sick. And uh, yeah. But don't you like the you know, classic sort of panacea to post-holiday blues is to start like booking your next holiday. So, um, have you given any thought to that? Uh, there's quite a few things coming up, but obviously we have the complications of trying to work out the schedules with the kids and things like that. So, nothing's concrete just yet really. We're just finding our feet. I'm actually not someone who plans their next holiday like while they're still on the trip or shortly after. <laughs> I'm not that kind of guy. I know a lot of people are, but I'm also a big hobby guy. Like I, I like having all my shit and home is where all that stuff is. So actually I do love also being at home because I feel like I have, you know, we've got the show, we've got my hobbies, I've got my gear, my stuff, you know, I like it. And so I am quite attached to being home as well. But that's a problem when your hobby is traveling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's true. So I got back and my first day back at work, I got in the lift and you know how sometimes in lifts, particularly in like corporate buildings, they have those little TVs with their advertising various things. And the very first ad when I get in the lift is like Malaysian Airlines trying to sell like <laughs> business class tickets because they've got a business class ticket sale. I'm like, oh, fuck. They've got you. They've got you while you're weak and you're vulnerable. Yeah. No, I just, I was like, I'll, I'll just bury my head in the sand on that one. Was it weird? Like the doors of the lift shutting and then you can see your reflection and you're wearing a suit and you're so used to being- Well, see, I wasn't gear. wearing a suit. I don't wear suits anymore. Who wears suits anymore? Is that the thing? I thought you you did wear a bit of a- No, only to like formal meetings, but now like they virtually aren't All any right. formal meetings. <laughs> I don't know. Well, hit me. What do you actually wear? Uniqlo sell these like fairly cheap and comfortable. They're like suit pants, but they're like, they're just cheap. I don't know. They're like 40 bucks each. And I said to my wife- You shouldn't be describing the clothes by calling them cheap, by the way. Like, try to- Well, no, but like the price is relevant. And just coming off our Cheapskate episode, especially, I said to my wife, it would be more expensive to dry clean these. So, I'll just, every time I need a new, like instead of like dry cleaning them, I'll just like throw them away and buy a new pair. <laughs> that is gold. Yeah. Peter- Sorry, I do wear more than pants. I wear a business shirt and- I like you're wearing well. a suit yeah. by another name. No, but- so, just basically no suit jacket and I do the um, the Dan Andrews Premier of Victoria like vest thing. Oh, like when it's the, the North Face puffer, puffer vest. Yeah. And look, I think the reason I like it is because it's got like lots of pockets so I can and zip pockets so I can put all my stuff in that and if I need to go out and it's not too hot. I like I actually have like a suit jacket in the office. So, if I really absolutely need it, I can don it and do whatever like. But come on, like 99% of the time in the office, you don't need a, you don't like, no one's expecting you to wear the double breasted suit and the yeah. tie. And that's a thing of the past, surely. 
So the reason I asked that in jest is that I got it really wrong, right? When I went, because as you know, I don't go into the office much. And when I went in a year ago and it was still very much a work from home culture, people were very, very casual. I'm talking jeans, shirt, jumper, that kind of thing, like super casual. And I thought it was still like that when I went back in a while ago. And so I rocked up in khakis and a t-shirt and like a leather jacket. I think I was even carrying a skateboard at the time. And I showed up to like my office and everyone was in fairly smart casual, probably like 50% suits with no tie and 50% smart casual. So things you're talking about tucked in dress shirt with like chinos or something like that and casual shoes or whatever. And I just felt so self-conscious just, and it's a horrible feeling being really underdressed, I think much worse than being overdressed because it's turned back now. I think people like getting dressed up because it's a bit of a novelty and makes them feel good, makes them feel professional again. So I think I had that experience as well. Um, but see, like, I'm just picturing you in your leather jacket and just thinking, oh, you're crafting your, your image as like- Malcolm the, Turnbull. Like, the guy who like is, doesn't care, like is so valuable to the organization that you can do whatever the fuck you like. And it, re- it reminds me of um, when I was a graduate, however many years ago, there was this guy, he was like f- fairly senior, but he was sort of near enough to retirement that he just didn't give a fuck. And we had this meeting with with a minister, right? So, it's you ha- if there's any ever a setting you need to like dress up and look the part, that's the setting, right? Out comes the clip-on tie. So, it's worse. This guy like rocks up to that meeting in his Lycra bicycle gear. Like, he can't even be- With like, the cleats? Tell me he still had Yeah, yeah with, the, with everything. Like, oh because like he needs to ride his bike home like after the meeting. So, this is in Parliament House. Yeah. And it just was like, what the fuck? Anyway. That's amazing. Um, I do like a little bit of, as I'm wearing this t-shirt, Rage Against the Machine, I do a little bit of nonconformity when it comes to that kind of stuff because it's harmless. It's a way of people pushing back but expressing themselves, but it's ultimately harmless to people. And I like that kind of disobedience sometimes. But yeah, I just think that dressing up does have an effect on you more than people realize. And I think working at home and what COVID has done has made people understand the importance of clothes a little bit more. That when you dress really poorly and really sloppy, you become like you, you absorb that a little bit because I can't tell you how. So to finish that story of coming in the office, really underdressed in jeans and a leather jacket and a skateboard, the next day I doubled down and I went to full suit mode. And I cannot tell you how different people treat you when you are carrying a skateboard <laughs> and just like jeans and stuff versus how you are when you're in a suit. Like literally people look at you as disgust when you carry the skateboard, you know, you're like this pest and sometimes you are. And then when you're in a suit, people just give you so much more respect and they just start from such a higher base when they're dealing with you and they know nothing about you. Clothes do make a difference and they may, they change the way you act as well. But this is just an extension of the um, coming to the office thing that we've had some earlier debates on. It's that whole, um, yeah. you, you're you're a different person, right? When you're in the office, you're, you're respected more because <laughs> you rock up and- I'm wearing pants. Like working from home, I, I was thinking to myself, like probably before going on holidays, but even this week, just- Part of me just wants to go back and work in the office like full time again, <laughs> just because I still work a couple of days from home. Just because of those two days at home, I just feel, I feel like in, in, internally, like I just, I don't feel myself. And I'm probably doing in some ways more work than I do in the office because like I've got more free, like just quiet time to get on yeah. with stuff. But I just, I don't know. It's just, I. What about, can I ask yeah. you, Andy, as an extension? to this work from home thing. You've been traveling for quite some time now um, and you've still been, you know, editing your videos and doing other things. What do you think about the dream of working as you travel, like remotely anywhere from the world? Do you think you could pull it off? Not in a an actual job. I think that would become 
too problematic because like when you're working in a job like that's not like something you do on the side while you're like sipping cocktails in you know insert like beautiful beachside location yeah that's that's like eight hours or more or even usually like longer of solid work and like in some ways if you had to work your solid input that you would to a full-time job in a location where all you want to do is go out and explore and take advantage like that would almost make it even worse because it's so close yet so far but like i think if you could swing something where you almost were like a pretty capable competent sort of consultant and you could just do your like bite-sized freelance sort of 15 20 hours a week of work and do all right out of that bite-sized sort of amount of input and then have four days a week for example in whatever location that would be pretty cool but I'm, yeah, I'm not sure it's that easy. But do you know what I saw the other day? I was in the toilet. Sorry, I, I was on the store and then someone walked past me and then we went to the sinks. And he had blue surgical gloves on and he washed his hands over the top of them. Like he didn't oh. take it off. And he like washed it like with, the so- with soap and shit. And I thought, this is bizarre, right? But also- Did he take the gloves off afterwards? No. And then he, he, he dried them <laughs> and left. Like they were his hands, right? And part of me was like- just what scenario is happening here? This is not a reusable item. And it really made me freaked out. Like I almost wanted to follow him because is he like working in a food setting or what it is he did? He wasn't a cleaner or anything like that. Then I'm like, oh, maybe he's got some kind of skin condition or whatever. It's like, no, you just replace the gloves, wouldn't you? I don't know. It was, it freaked, it actually freaked me out. It wasn't as humorous as I thought it would be. <laughs> My um, toilet stall story is when we were away, uh, we were, we checked out of the hotel, but my son needed to go to the toilet, so I escorted him to the bathroom. And my son's in the toilet stall. But then, like, this other guy rocks up to the... There's only two stalls in the bathroom. Yeah. And this other guy rocks up to the next one and then starts making, like, all these sounds like, ah, and just, like, it all, like, lets it rip and just everything (laughs) comes out. But this is... It's this guy's been holding it in for three years or something and it just lets it out all in one go. <laughs> Finally <laughs> finished that first date. But the funniest thing is my son couldn't keep his, like, hold his laughter in. <laughs> he just starts <laughs> laughing. But that kind of, like, really that kind of, and it was just so it, it Just goes to like, show, man, like, it doesn't matter how old you get, it's still funny. Yeah. All right. What are we talking about today? So, we've opened on these, like, holidays. We... Did have a pipeline of episodes. And so, the thing about having a pipeline of episodes is that if you record an episode and release it six weeks later, you have no capacity to comment on anything contemporary, right? So, there's no point about like talking about what's happening in the news this week or today or whatever because in six weeks' time, it's not relevant. Everyone's forgotten about it. Circumstances have changed, right? So, we've, we basically don't have a pipeline of episodes. So, we thought we'd try something a little bit different, which is to comment on some contemporary developments, news, articles, but just to comment on some more contemporary topics or issues. So, we're going to run through a few, just like a grab bag today and um, see where it takes us as a bit of an experiment. Yeah, that's right. 24-hour news cycle, eat your heart out. We're coming for you, Charlie. All right, where do we want to start? Maybe we should signpost that today is the 28th of July, right? Yeah. 28th of July. So, this episode probably will be released a week after we record it so we'll just flag that for anyone listening wondering why we're talking about something that has changed in the days since we've recorded it but we thought we would start with kevin spacey so i'm gonna start with a question how did you feel when um 
Kevin Spacey was dropped from House of Cards because of the allegations of what were like sex, sexual abuse, basically. I think it's more that, well, number one, right, is whether you can separate the man from the art. <laughs> and when it comes to something like a TV series, I think that an audience has the right to be selfish and want closure after five seasons or whatever it is. And the second is, I like, I do believe that you should be innocent until proven guilty at its heart, right? And, that, and that's the problem I kind of have with when networks start to distance themselves from bad press before there's actually even a ruling or all the facts are out there. They're just like, oh, there's some mud on this person. We're not really interested in seeing it through. And to me, that's like a little bit of bad faith. I don't know. How do you feel about it? Well, and of course, that's like relevant in this situation because even if the court of public opinion is different to a court of law, but a court of law found him innocent of of his charges. Yeah. So he is essentially an innocent man. I, I actually not sure if we see we haven't done a lot of background research here, but I'm not actually sure if he's got any other charges or out of court settlements or like civil cases in other jurisdictions. But look, I think there's a lot of smoke, right, around Kevin Spacey. So I don't think whatever this court ruling in the UK sort of says about those specific cases, I I still think there's a lot of smoke and I, I doubt the court of public opinion is clean now. But to the actual question of like House of Cards, if it wasn't already such a car wreck of a TV show by the time they dropped him, because like, let's face it, like House of Cards was great the first season, second season, and maybe, I don't know, maybe one or two after, but by the end it was like jump the shark. So, yeah. by that by that time I didn't care anyway. I probably even stopped watching it because it was just getting a bit ridiculous. So, I didn't care that much, but at, at like a principal level, I totally agree. It's sort of like, can you enjoy Michael Jackson music anymore? Of course you can. If you enjoy the art, why does any other factor affect your enjoyment of, yeah, of something like that? So, yeah, completely agree. It is tough though, isn't it? It's like- Michael Jackson's a really good, you know, good one because I love his music. Like literally changed my life. Right. When I first heard it, I was like, man, this music is incredible when I discovered it. And now it's, it does take that edge off it. Right. And not so much that you can still enjoy it, but like to say, I'm a big Michael Jackson fan. Right. If you are one is a bit of a risky move nowadays. And I think, oh, okay, let's take something that's like a little bit less universally loved. Like maybe for our generation, like a Bill Cosby. Like, you wouldn't really want to be having, like, fandom, right? He's innocent, I swear. It was consensual. <laughs> you know, having, like, Bill Cosby, you know, memorabilia or something like that. You wouldn't really, like, work that into the conversation, right? Or put that on your dating profile. So, it's very hard to know the truth on these matters. And I think, at a principles basis, yeah, can you separate the man or woman from the art? So, I think, like, another relevant question here is some of these like within kevin spacey's instance some of the charges related to historical offenses or things that happened you know decades ago and that gets a little bit tricky too because now we've talked before about judging people by standards of the time and all that sort of stuff and i don't know there's some pretty high profile examples of famous rock stars having it on with very underage girls and that kind of just everyone just forgets about that or sweeps that under the carpet and and that it's like known and public like you know i mean like the famous ones would be like people like mick jagger and stuff like that but then there's like even anthony kiedis from red hot chili peppers there, there's heaps of these it's just it was just it was all over the place at that time there's these blurring of lines of this is very clearly inappropriate and wrong and whatever but like 
in their minds at that time it wasn't and that or at least it was a bit more gray than it is now and i think that's the other thing that that makes it yeah just it it doesn't make it right or acceptable allowable but it just makes it more complicated and less black and white i'll throw something a bit more controversial in there while we're on the topic andy so the allegations are also of a, a homosexual orientation now post our gay episode would it be right that you believe that there are meaningful differences between heterosexual and um, gay relationships and the dynamics that form between them. I mean, that was very clearly the message that we were, I think, given, right? Well, yeah. So, I guess I'll be the one to say it because I brought it up. I think that like, I, I do look at the allegations slightly differently because it's a like a man-on-man thing. I'm not saying that there's a different... Maybe I am saying that there might be a different benchmark for what constitutes harassment in that world from what I've heard. And maybe that is problematic, but it's something that's in the back of my mind that I haven't resolved as well. I don't think this is quite down the path you're you're going, but I just watched on Netflix, there's a bio documentary of Wham! And it's not a George Michael biopic or anything like that, but it's obviously he he's a big part of Wham! So, he features fairly prominently. First of all, just as an aside, I have no idea how anyone could have thought he was a straight guy like at any point of his tenure in Wham. But just to put that to one side, it it got me down the Wikipedia rabbit warren and all that sort of stuff. And it's like, when did he come out and stuff? And he came out in as late as 98, which I was quite surprised because I was surely like everyone knew he was gay by that time. And I think they probably, the public consciousness was, this is not a secret or a surprise, but but he, he came out and but the reason he came out was because it was after the he was arrested in Beverly Hills for um, yeah. public indecency or whatever. <laughs> and it just, even back like 98, which I still see as close enough to contemporary history that it quite shocked me that it was quite targeted, like in a probably a homophobic sort of way, right? Where yeah. they arrested him for the toilet block sort of thing. And he made some comments about the police officer where he, I think there was like a film clip or something where he made fun of the incident and made fun of the police officer and how, like, this is, like, your job, like, to go and, like, lure on on the grounds of, like, a consensual sort of act. Like, almost, like, saying, hey, you need to look in the mirror. Like, who's done the wrong thing here? Is it me? Yeah, who's you pretending to? Yeah, exactly. And (laughs) But the cop went and sued George Michael for, like, offence. I don't know. I don't know on what (laughs) grounds, but because apparently he took offence at this. It's like, in my mind, I'm just picturing this is just like a vendetta against gay people, essentially. Like, how dare you be, like, gay and proud and confident, basically. And uh, anyway, sorry, I know that's a different angle to to where you're going with it, but it's very complicated, right? (laughs) To say the least. But on that point about not knowing, like, how could you not know he was gay? I think you'd be surprised, like, what people do believe. Like, I remember, when did Ricky Martin come out as gay? Very recently, right? In the last five, ten years? Okay, so I've looked it up just to get this right. In a statement, Ricky Martin calls himself a fortunate homosexual man, March 29, 2010. 2010. 2010. Okay. So, still quite recent, I think. And I remember, like, before that, I think maybe in the mid-2000s, I'm like, I was having a conversation with someone and I said, Ricky Martin is 100% gay. Look at it. And I remember having this conversation with this group of people and they're like, no, you're mistaking like the Latin flair for being gay. You're just like, you're homophobic. And I'm like, he's definitely gay. It's clear after the fact. It's not so clear when you're in the moment because you can, it is hard to tell someone's orientation when it comes down I, to I it, still right? maintain that Freddie Mercury was straight. 
I think as well, George Michael probably established that flamboyant sort of style of, you know, yeah, music campness. and performance as that became a gay sort of thing. Like the 80s were more camp, right? The 80s had more flair. Yeah. This might be a bit too niche for many of our listeners to know, but Tina Turner, so anyone who doesn't follow or know anything about rugby league here in Australia, simply the best. Oh, Her song, that epic. was like the like most- like the best anthem for rugby league that they've ever had. And it was like, anyway, so this good. big thing. I still um, remember the montage with the hits of the tackle. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. Timed perfectly to her song. It was, I don't know, just like the two went hand in hand, right? Especially growing up, like associated the two together. Anyway, but that's not the story. But the story is she's performing <laughs> simply the best at the this grand final. And there's this the really key sort of saxophone part of that song. And this guy, shirtless, he's got like his abs showing. He's got long, he's got this ponytail and he's all oiled up and he's got this sax and he's playing it like he's making love to it. It's just the most, it's just, the, I'm just going to say it this way because I don't know how it was, but it's just the most gay thing you've ever seen in your life. But I still think that was just like, that was still like, no yeah, one thought of that as gay back then. That was just like a hot guy or something. Yeah. We'll add it to it's just the, a hot, um, hairless. Shorts. <laughs> A hairless saxophone player that likes to take care of himself. Yeah, I think people just make they make all sorts of reasons and rationalize in their head. So I actually am not surprised at anything anymore when it comes to that stuff. There were people who didn't think Liberace was gay. <laughs> no, no, don't be silly. Back to Kevin Spacey. So do you think he will come back from this back to Hollywood? Do you think he'll be um what was the dude who played the wrestler? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you think he'll have the his like what was that guy's name again? We've got to get this right. Uh Mickey Rourke. <laughs> Mickey Rourke. Do you think he'll have his Mickey Rourke moment and come back as, as and win an Oscar or something like that? My gut feel is no. And that's because that someone like Mickey Rourke represents a very different community, different vibe, different people. At the end of the day, Kevin Spacey is still very much in that ultra liberal art space, right? Play playwrights and theater and gay things. <laughs> it's not I just don't think you can come back to that audience. And for the rest of us that are wanting to watch House of Cars and stuff, unfortunately, the notoriety from all this stuff is going to overtake any role that he's going to do next. So I just think it's going to be a distraction to his art and the fewer opportunities that he will have to do things will be boycotted by the liberal arts community, personally. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. And I think he's not a young man either. So if he's going to come back, I think there still needs to be like a passage of time that everyone's forgotten and doesn't care anymore. And maybe even takes joy out of like the return. And I don't know that there's enough time in his sort of yeah his effective working life to he'll be behind the, behind the scenes, right? And which he already does with his theatre work and the old Vic. But I also think that what's working against Kevin Spacey is that a lot of his roles he plays a really Machiavellian psychopath. So you've already got that image in your head that this guy is, has the capacity for violence and like just this evil kind of attitude. So I think that's where people will look at that and they go, oh, look, his art imitating life. It'd be very different if he played a very different character set, but he portrays that character so well that I think people almost believe it, that he's already guilty. Yep. All right. I think we should move on to our next mini topic. You added this one to the list. I don't know much about it, so I might hand over to you to tell us about the Elon and Mark Zuckerberg fight. Sign of the times. Sign of the end times. So we have two very public figures, billionaires, Elon Musk being, I think he is the richest man in the world at the moment. Well, if you don't count all the secret money of the Saudis and all that business, 
and Mark Zuckerberg, so the creator of Facebook, wanting to fight a UFC fight together. Oh. Apparently very, very serious discussions with Dana White, the president of the UFC. Both seem to be very serious about so, this fight. So this is, it, is it, has this been triggered from like a fundamental disagreement about something and then this is like the equivalent of the 18th century duel or what? There's no, it's not like there's not a, some kind of I demand satisfaction or there's been some disrespect or whatever it is. It's, it seems to be just this weird carnival thing or like what you're from Elon lately, which is a random tweet. I don't think you can call it tweets anymore, but we'll get to that. And yeah, Mark Zuckerberg has really shown an interest in UFC and mixed martial arts rather of late. For the last couple of years, he's been training with some of the best in the business and really embracing it as a bit of a hobby. So he's had this kind of passion. And when he's gone on other, he's been brushing shoulders with Joe Rogan and stuff in his podcast. He's been talking about how he's been training and he's found a real love for the sport. I don't know if it's come from that or Elon's just crazy or he's just an entertainer at heart. I don't know. Elon, I think, would do it just for just because, right? If you'd told me, sorry, if you'd asked me like who would win and you didn't tell me that last bit about Mark Zuckerberg trading, I'd be like, oh, fucking Elon's <laughs> going to flatten him. So maybe there's some like tactics or strategy that that he'll have but it does um remind me of like some of the the theater that you'd have from all these 80s rock stars where they'd always like they'd challenge like the front man from one band would challenge like another front man from another band to like to have a fight and like to have it in public and we'll sell tickets in vegas and but the thing is like none of them ever ever serious and they never do it they uh, they all um wuss out um, talk big, but um, never go ahead with it. Online, there's been all sorts of famous fighters gravitating to each camp, saying that they're willing to like train them or prepare them for the match. Now, it, it, is this okay? So these people have everything like available to them. They're just they're billionaires. They're almost bored, really. And so it's if you can't have if you can have everything you could possibly want, like what do you start going for? You go for the things you currently don't have or can't have. And so it's like this. It's this, okay, like I'm jealous of Logan Paul or whatever. So I need to, like, I need to have this other thing like on my belt. Probably. It's probably like that bored billionaire thing, right? There's only so much, so many Bugattis you can buy until you probably get into a bit of a dark rabbit hole. And the next thing you know, you're hunting man, right? In some private island somewhere, the ultimate hunt. So Andrew Tate, right? He was the UFC, right? Was he? No, he was a kickboxer. But isn't that, aren't they all, don't they all do the same thing? Isn't it all combined? Like MMC uh, or yeah. MMA? MMA is like a multi-discipline thing, right? So you can in, Sorry, inside the cage. I'm talking about this. <laughs> inside the octagon, you can you can kind of essentially use whatever you want, and there are basic rules like no groin shots, no eye gouging, no elbow elbows directly to the skull, kind of thing, like from upward position, things like that. They have all these rules, but within those rules, you can use whatever techniques you want, which is the point, right? What they've found over time is that certain disciplines do better than others, and you need like a rounding in a lot of different things. So that's what mixed martial arts is, which is the that's what the UFC is, right? Something like, then you still have pure disciplines like boxing, obviously no kicks and all this kind of stuff, and then kickboxing, which you can kick, but you can't choke people <laughs> and stuff like that. So it's one of those things. I guess the other thing is, as I mentioned before, Logan Paul, right? So he was like a YouTuber or I can't remember what else he did, but anyway, I think predominantly just did YouTube videos. Like I'm not sure what his channel, YouTube channel had, but like he's the guy behind prime energy drinks yeah i think it's a joint venture with ksi and logan paul right but it's he's now done all these fights and i don't know 
I think actually like he's the real deal is in he's not like the best fighter ever, but like he's, he's competitive. And a lot of people said, oh, who's this like clown trying to be, uh, it's actually yeah. dangerous for him or whatever, but it actually turns out he's, he's actually, he, he's actually an athlete. So it's this new like modern trend of like people with money and resources yeah, entering into. Isn't it, doesn't all, for me, all roads lead back to fight club because <laughs> it's that same thing of like. When you don't have meaning in your life or your office work or whatever it is, actually getting in a fight is like probably the one experience that you haven't had and that actually teaches you so many things. Now, it's not the same, right, being in a real life fight, but I do remember when I picked up boxing, right, the first time that you spar with someone, it is a bit of a a real life altering or like perception altering experience because you just don't face that in civilized society, right? Well, hopefully you don't. And just putting yourself in that mindset is actually incredibly exciting, incredibly humbling, and it just changes your view on things. So I'm actually not that surprised that these people who are overachievers, billionaires, all that kind of gravitate towards these sports, right? Because really it's how they get their thrills and change their perspective. And they probably need it in their lives. Bill Gates just turns to trying to help starving people in Africa, but... Yeah, that's all right too. The two are not mutually exclusive. He's probably got a dojo somewhere. But anyway, going back to the matchup, right? So you've got the situation where Mark Zuckerberg is, I think he's 40 or even younger. Elon's 52, I believe. He's Elon's six foot two. Mark Zuckerberg is five foot seven. So you've got these really interesting combination. It's like a little pocket rocket who's been training versus someone who's built like a 1950s fridge, but is older and and hasn't been training. And who are you going to pick? You're going to pick the bear to mold the terrier? even though it's trained, it's just an interesting thing. Like I, It's like a little fantasy matchup that um, breaks all the rules, right? Very entertaining. Uh, I could see, I could foresee like Elon Musk dying of a heart attack. <laughs> like that's, that is on the table. You do know life. Elon Musk is the one of the inspirations for Robert Downey Jr.'s Iron Man. Because if he gets a heart attack and then he has to get one of those little magnets in his chest, he will become Iron Man. I wonder if Twitter shares will go up if Elon Musk has a heart attack. Well, it's just getting dark. It's getting dark. I think that's a good segue to the other piece of news that came out this week, which was the rebrand of Twitter. What do you think about X, the new name or the new logo, at least? I don't know. Is it actually called X now or is it Twitter, but the logo is X? It's hard to understand really what's going on, which I think is also the issue with anything that Elon does with Twitter. Like, obviously, the creation- Is it called Twitter, though, still, or is it now called X? I don't know, officially, but the corporation (laughs) that acquired it is like X- Right. So I think it's being absorbed into a parent brand. No, but if you go to the Twitter website, like the logo is now X. Hang on, I'm just going now to it. Yeah, it's like X is like all over the shop. The app is icon it? is still a bird on my phone. And okay, all the so, are. so I've just like on, you know, web page type twitter.com. So that's still the URL. It, and it says sign into Twitter. So it still says Twitter. But the, yeah, the bird's gone and it says it's got that X, right? Yeah, and I think this is one of the feedback that they're writing about that is really haphazard, right? So I've just opened Twitter on my iPhone and it's still the bird, there's no X. And all my alerts are that, you see it everywhere. So I think you're going to see both. Now, he did say that we'll phase out the bird over time. But for- what are, the, are they going to, is it going to be called a tweet or is it going to no. be called Like the bird's gone. X. The bird's gone, right? <laughs> but I just don't understand to sacrifice so much of your brand and like when you think about it what is twitter it's not really anything that can't be achieved by other platforms so if you get rid of the brand completely it just seems like a very it's one of those situations where it's like does elon know something that we don't 
Like, is this a genius well, move? Because it sounds very stupid to, to kind I'm of I'm not sure that's quite right. A lot of people, a lot of the commentary said, oh, why would you spend however many billions on this thing? And then the only thing it's worth is really its brand. And then you get rid of the brand. So, what have you bought? And then and viewers, I don't think it's strictly true that, in fact, I, I would say, argue against the notion that he just bought a brand, right? He bought a platform that has millions and millions or billions even, I don't know how many people are on Twitter, but like of users. And you can't just recreate that, right? You can't just set up some new thing called X and have that many users. So, he, and for better or worse, if you call it, I mean, you could call it anything, right? You could call it shit sandwich, right? And there would still be millions and millions of people using it, like existing Twitter users would still use it. So, it's the network effect of other users on the platform that basically means that it's very hard for a new entrant to just come and disrupt that shit sandwich. I, yeah. So then the, instead of a cable, it'd be like a dump. And That's right. instead of a tweet, yeah. it would be like a fart or something. A twat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you do know what I mean though, right? Losing the Twitter brand when it's so iconic and doing it this way with such blatant disrespect. Maybe that's part of it. Maybe it's like, this is like, this world of like old is gone and like I'm here to, this is, we're making a break. One position I, I know that's floating out there is that things are really bad, worse than you think. And so, this is like a Hail Mary pass to actually rebrand the dog food company, like the kind of change the name, see if they can get a fresh start and get it right. The other proposition that, that I read was that like the grand plan for Elon Musk in acquiring Twitter isn't to own Twitter as it currently is, it's to grow it and change it and turn it into essentially like a new digital commerce platform, right? And equivalent to some of the platforms in, in China, I think Weibo is an example yeah. where it's like this chat thing, but it's also like e-commerce is like that you do your payments through the system or whatever as well. And that that's actually like the way to monetize it and commercialize it. And that's actually the goal. And part of the thinking is that if you want to start doing things like that on Twitter and you've got this cute little bird that you tweet, that goes tweet, and it doesn't conjure up the kind of image of trust and maybe people are looking for if they start making financial transactions through the platform. I'm not sure an X, just a random X with no text does that either, though. Well, maybe he's <laughs> trying to corner the OnlyFans and, you know, kind of see the underground of the internet market. I'm not sure. Look, that could all be right. But at the end of the day, I equally think it's possible for someone like Elon to be like, look, I'm just an engineer. I've got a funny side to me and I spent $43 billion so I can tweet whatever the fuck I want because it's funny to me. But see, just as an aside, all of the armchair critics criticizing Elon Musk, right? And all of his decisions and like people, and these are like, usually they're like millennials that can't even get into the housing market, can't get their own finances and their own careers and all that in order and like critiquing Elon Musk who's the richest person on the planet for his business decisions. Come on, like, this is a very smart guy. Like, yeah, no even doubt. even if he is just doing it for shits and giggles, I would still, like, the probability that there's some genius behind this. And and I, I acknowledge that. Like I said, maybe he's got a move that we don't know because, and we're just yeah. not on the level. But what I would say, and I'm a fan of Elon, but not for conventional reasons. But what I would say is that intelligence has rather disappointingly less real world application than you think. So even if he is a genius, but it's but he's he is the richest man on the planet, right? So he's got some other magic ingredients other than intelligence, right? Yeah, no, I got you, I got you. And second, probably more importantly, 
He is a man. <laughs> He's one man who has 24 hours a day. He has five incredibly demanding companies, if not more. How, and you just know this, like, how can you possibly dedicate yourself enough to run this properly? And that, that's the path that, that kind of, to me, worries me. That there's just way too much stuff there. He's just one man. Yeah. So I think the whole Twitter thing, right, when he bought it, I feel like that had to be the part of his psyche that was just like, this is just for fun, right? This is, I've got my other businesses where- I've already proven myself. This is where my value and my wealth is to be stored. But like, I kind of have so much money. I can really, I don't know how many billions he's worth, but it's a lot. This is his project car, his classic car that he's always wanted. Let's just say like as a general principle, if you have $1 billion, you can pretty much, you don't need- another billion dollars, right? The value of an extra billion dollars, once you've already got $1 billion, is virtually zero. It doesn't bring you any extra but Andy, benefit in your life. But Andy, what about inflation? Right? $1 billion wasn't <laughs> what it used to be. So, if you're worth 60 or 100 or 150 or however many he's worth, right? And and you just, yeah, fuck it. Like, I'll buy Twitter. I'll have some fun with that. And I, could, I can see that being the thing. Anyway. Yeah, I can see it too. But yeah, look, I, like I fully admit that we probably don't see the angles to this. And I think Elon is a character who revels in the mystery, the mystique, and the entertainment. Like, yes, that thing, when he was asked about the fight with Zuckerberg, and they asked him, is this really going to happen, and all this kind of stuff, and he said something really cool, which was pretty much, obviously not verbatim, but the, the most likely outcome is often the most entertaining one. And so he gets it. He understands, like, the pull of modern society and capitalism and how to do it right he understands that really fundamental truth that people just want entertainment <laughs> and um so he kind of gets that right let's uh, let's see what happens down the pipeline I, I have to give it to one of the best you know how news articles have those little banners down the bottom i have to give it to one of the best for that particular story of twitter rebranding to x and the banner down the bottom of the news story said x gonna give it to you and i thought that was a genius so dmx song if anyone's wondering all right, so 28th of July, yesterday, we woke up to the death of Sinead O'Connor. Do you, did you have, um, was she someone that you had paid attention to in her career or that had been in your consciousness in any significant way prior to yesterday? So, I always had problems pronouncing her first name, so that was always awkward for me. No, I did, I was a very big fan of, obviously, her vocal talent. And I know it's cheesy, but I do really love, like, it's actually one of my favorite songs in the world is um, Nothing Compares to You. And uh, I loved it so much that when Chris Cornell, and rest in peace, covered it live with strings, that then became one of my favorite songs ever and still is to this day. Although, although it is a Prince song. Yeah, I know. But, the, but he covered her style of it. There's a whole um, rabbit warren around Hallelujah, the Leonard Cohen song, and then the that was made famous by Jeff Buckley. But yeah. The, Actually, Jeff Buckley was copying the style of this other guy who no one knows about. Anyway, sorry. But, but I think when it comes to that, so first of all, I totally acknowledge that I love that song. And I, f- I feel like it's one of those songs that if you were someone who never heard music before, right, came out of a POW camp or whatever, and you heard that song, it would just cut through you like a knife, like really give you a crash course into how beautiful humans are. So I want to get that out of the way. I think that what I did really like from her too is her, this idea of the way she put in her mental, I think she was one of, maybe not the original, but one of someone who like talked about her mental health a lot. 
And I quite liked that. So basically she had a diagnosis of bipolar or manic depressive or whatever they called it back then. And she actually spoke about that a lot and raised that through her presence or her platform. Yeah. So those are the parts that I remember. What about you? Yeah. I mean, she's in some ways, she was as famous for everything she did off the stage as she was on the stage or figuratively speaking. So I just obviously like the earliest sort of knowledge of her was like you, nothing compares to you. Like that, that's the most famous song, maybe one or two other songs earlier in her career. But then it was, it just seemed like a train wreck, right? This is someone who, okay, she's, she atheist now. Oh, wait, now she's converting to Islam. Now she's back. Yeah. Now she's a priest, like all that kind of stuff going on, like very the Catholic scenes. church, right? So there was that famous thing, wasn't there? Where she, um, was it the Pope that she taught? Yeah. Him? So this is the, like, I, and actually, like, it's in hindsight, like, it's amazing that something like that courted her so much controversy. So, you know, went on Saturday Night Live, performed a song, I think, or maybe, anyway, was up to perform and took a picture of Pope John Paul II, who at the time was probably held in a much higher regard than what we would hold a pope today to be. And she ripped it up. And of course, she's Irish as well, which then there's that whole like, that's yeah. if there's a Catholic country like Ireland usually comes to mind. But this was in the US and, um, and you know, it, it caught just a lot of controversy. And, um, you know, she was, I think there was then this other sort of piece of the puzzle where the next week Joe Pesci, um, this, you know, little Italian guy gets up and, um, it, you know, almost does a counter protest sort of thing. So, it was, it, it, it's a real reflection of the time, I think, that an act of, or, you know, really, I mean, I think she was protesting a lot of the horrors of the Catholic Church, which many people would be very sympathetic to. And child abuse. And that that was seen as like, how dare you, you know, question the Catholic Church. So, it is a bit of a sign of the times and how much things have changed. I mean, I, I think actually, ironically, she seems to be quite a religious person, but yeah. just not quite sure what she believes, what the faith is, but she wants, just seems to be someone who wants to put faith in something and live her life by a set of religious principles, but yeah, struggled with the institutions of religion. That's a really good way of putting it. All right. Um, I, I do. Just, just one thing. I, I mean, obviously it's sad, but one of the other musical sort of contributions that, um, you know, stick with me is Roger Waters' performed The Wall in Berlin after the fall of the Berlin Wall. So, there's this big concert and this was a time when it was just Roger Waters because Pink Floyd went together. But he got all these different um, singers and bands and artists together to do a rendition of The Wall. And she came on and sang Mother with Roger Waters and, and it was it's quite a yeah, it's. I don't know if we can somehow play it, but it's yeah, yeah it's definitely um, yeah one one of the best. What we'll do is in the show notes we'll link. Nothing compares. We'll for you know people, and God, if you if you haven't listened to that song before, this is our gift to you. Um, and we'll do the Chris Cornell version, and maybe if we can find mother the mother recording as well, we'll link that in as a bit of a tribute there. So on a brighter note, should we um, shake it off? I do stay out too late. It's one of my main problems. Did you get your um, your Taylor Swift? tickets 1989 the taylor swift's actually not that much younger than we are four years yeah that makes me feel better because she's taylor swift's kind of like forever young actually um miley cyrus is another one where you, you have to get your head around that yeah. she's not a disney teen starlet yeah. anymore <laughs> like she's like a 33 year old woman or however old she is i feel same. like that the same thing that's similar to that for me is lizzie mcguire like i always feel like yeah, but really, she's our age, right? The Sorry, Hillary Dash, not Lizzie McGuire. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
Taylor Swift, I don't like she does seem to be having like her moment now, right? Like where she's always been like for even 15, 20 years, I'm not sure when she started a career, but certainly at least the last 10 years has been very much a famous singer songwriter who could fill very large venues for at least a decade or more. But now seems to be like the very peak where it's the real deal. Like it's not just feeling like a stadium, it's like filling a stadium multiple nights and still everyone fighting over the tickets. And it's when you think of like rock bands that used to fill out stadiums and that was like a big stadium show or whatever. Um, you know, I always think the Elton John sort of at um, in Chicago, like, oh, that, that big stadium show. She does this like multiple nights. Like she's playing to half a million people. I don't understand in, the numbers. You know, in a week, right? It's like really like the numbers blow my mind. They really do because when you look at it also in terms of finances, I have this thing in my head that it's like finance industry money figures. It's not like people paying, handing over ticket money at the door. Like she's making $19 million a night. What? How does that even work? So her, her current tour predicted that it's going to gross $1 billion. $1 billion. I don't know. How is that even possible? But she's on her own as well, right? There's no like other bandmates to share it with. This is just all to her, right? That's serious going. I just can't. I can't even imagine the numbers that drive that. But it it's... um. So, okay. So, like, who else nowadays would um would be in her kind of league, right? And, you know, I, I sort of think maybe a few years ago, people would talk about her in this, like, Beyonce in kind of the same way. And, you know, maybe like Ed Sheeran as well. But she's bigger. Like, she's, she's like, maybe Adele as well. I'm not oh, sure. But, yeah, maybe yeah she's, um, she's a league of her own, I think. Yeah, maybe, like, I, I don't know. Her contemporaries are at the moment. Justin Bieber? Nah. No, he's... Guns N' Roses, probably. No. And they hold one of the records for the highest earning tours? That's because, like, they toured for, like, 10 years straight or something, right? Um, nah, it, it's not... Uh, I'm not sure how what the price of her tickets are. Maybe there's, like, a price element. Like, so, you get some of these legacy acts that, you know, it's, like, $400 a ticket. That's to get in the door at the shitty seat that you can't see anything. Maybe for her... But I think that they're not cheap either, like, her tickets, like, this... I, but she just is just huge. Maybe to take a step back, forget the tour for a sec. What's your what's your view of Taylor Swift? Because she's quite like a divisive. People love her or hate her. That's the sense I get. Yeah, I think so. She brings out a feeling in people where if they are sensitive to feminist adjacent elements, they can turn on her quite quickly. And I think it's because she sings about that stuff, right? She makes it a little bit more front and center in her work. But for me, I actually, it's just not... Like, her music is not for me. Her hits, her pop hits, I enjoy, but, like, she's her music's not for me. And I assume you're in the same boat, unless there's something you want to tell me. I, I'm probably a little bit more on the amenable to Taylor Swift music than you, by the sounds of it. Like, yeah. there's some songs that, like, get in my head, but, like, pr- like I think when you say the, the hits, right, that's probably, I don't think I there's enough depth in, like, the album for me to, oh, yeah, I just want to listen to this album, right, (laughs) over and over again. And actually did this exercise of Miles Away, right? I pulled up like a playlist on Spotify. I pulled up like her set list, the tour set list, like the songs that she would play in a concert, partially because I was trying to contemplate, ah, is this this something I could take like my wife to or is this- 
is this like a nice couple's night out to, to go and see Taylor Swift? <laughs> can and you afford it? <laughs> well, can I even get a ticket? That's the first problem. And I, I listened through the set list and I didn't know like any of the songs because I thought I would, right? I thought this is like pretty, this is just the stuff that you hear in shops. Like you can't help but know these songs. And like I knew like, you know, the famous ones or whatever, but I was quite surprised. Like there's a lot in her catalog that I just never heard before. And and I didn't necessarily get the sense that, oh yeah, I just, this, these are great songs. I would keep listening to them, but she is very talented. There's some really great songs that she, and I understand she writes herself. Like she's, you know, she might have some other songwriters with her or whatever, but she's not just a singer, right? She's a songwriter. Like some of them are, are really good songs. But the thing that rubs me up, a little, you know, totally with her is that she's such a whiny white girl, right? This is someone who's like, this. she is successful, she's beautiful, she's got money, she's got famous friends, She's she can do anything she wants. She can make any decision she wants to make about her career. If she doesn't like touring, if she thinks it's too much, she can stop touring. Like, sh- the world is her oysters. She is in the driver's seat. But she just complains nonstop. She complains about being successful. She complains about not having a boyfriend or just like, seriously, just there are people starving. There are people who can't get jobs. There are people who can't get housing. And you're complaining that like you're too famous, like fuck off. Anyway, (laughs) I think that's the point in her music though. That's why it has such a connection with young people. Because that's them. They feel that. They're like, I don't know why I've got Fight Club stuck in my head, but it's like the disease of the middle class, right? It's like this kind of scourge that you're not special and that you have nothing to complain about, but but you're not satisfied. You're not happy. You feel restless. And so I think it's like it's the same thing as like teenage angst songs with emo or grunge disillusionment. I think it's, it's tapping into that vein of the idle white suburban middle class. Don't you think? I just Because that's probably how they feel. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I remember 30 years ago, one of the commonalities between, say, rock and roll and hip hop was that the famous rock bands of that era, especially the punky ones, like with a punky element, was that like these are people on the street. These are people living it rough. These are people living tough lives. There, yeah. There's a real kind of the culture. These are not the haves. These are the have-nots, right? Yeah. People, maybe the masses, the middle class kind of respected that and that was what they wanted to hear from. And then at some point, like in the last 20 years, everything flipped where it was like the preppy sort of private school kids that were forming bands. And that's when rock lost the plot a bit. And it, it wasn't, yeah, there wasn't, there was nothing well, to the, admire about it outside. The authenticity has gone, right? Yeah. So I think what she can own is like a success story of someone who works hard, who wants like perseveres and she can own that story. But it's everything is just so depressed. It's like th- there's nothing in, in her music or at least that I'm aware of that's, hey, look, I'm really fucking lucky. I'm really fortunate. It's just all uh, just this is just, oh, how tough everything is. Ah, come on. Like, seriously. She- <laughs> By the way, I really like her, her music. So, I'm <laughs> <laughs> about to say for someone who's meant to be defending. <laughs> now, um, yeah, look. I'm more of a Miley guy myself. If I have to pick someone in that category, I'm definitely uh, I'm definitely a Miley man. So you know how, like, in an episode earlier this year, we were talking about the Spotify, like your like played lists, like yeah. the ones like your Spotify the unwrapped, whatever. Unwrapped. Yeah. That's right. I'm making a prediction, a hot prediction. The number one for me is going to be this one from Taylor Swift. It's me. 
And we are now officially banned from Spotify. We just made her 19.1 million. <laughs> you know how she, um, she re-recorded all of her songs because yeah. some guy bought her back catalogue or something and she wasn't happy with it. So, she just- That's such a gangster move. <laughs> well, it's kind of like, on one hand, I respect it, but like- but I wonder how long it took her though. Doesn't she have like a, a huge back catalogue? But can you imagine though, like obviously she's she's got music, right? But if someone turned around to us and said, guys- we need you to record every single podcast episode again because someone's bought someone has bought your back catalog. I don't know if we could do it. <laughs> I literally do not know if we could do it. You know what we could do? We could get the transcripts and we could get some audible actor to play ourselves. Get Kevin Spacey. He's probably looking for work. <laughs> anyway, that's a good man. I had fun looking at these news stories. How, how are you finding, just to wrap this up though, how are you finding you are getting across news nowadays? Oh, we could have a whole episode on that, but I really... Because I'm hoping that your answer is much more methodical than mine, but I'm waiting to see. Okay, I'll say this. I used to enjoy, like, the news, as in, like, newspapers, like, ABC News, 7.30 Report, all those kind of shows. Now, I'm just like, ah, I really, I just turned off it. I don't want, I don't care. So, anyway, in terms of news consumption, like, I'm still a little bit addicted to, in the same way as someone would be, like, checking their social media profile or whatever. So, I don't get my news through social media, but I, so just to be clear, but but I think I engage with news websites in that way, in that similar way where I'm like, oh, I want the different, the new thing to be added to the homepage, like the news story or the breaking news or whatever. So, I read like online news a lot. So, definitely read the, like I have probably a couple websites that I would check, but they're local, like Australian based news websites. How are you? It's for me, it's very scattered, right? And I think that's the problem for me. I went for a long period of time where I didn't watch TV. Let me clarify that. I didn't watch free-to-air TV, which included the local and Australian news. And so, I got all my stuff from online sources. Since the kids have come into the picture, I do have the news on a little bit more. And I must say, I'm starting to get a taste for it again. Just having what that, what that bulletin do you watch? Which channel? It's a mix of like ABC, mainly ABC, I guess. Um, See, I, I find ABC, just for anyone outside of Australia, which is like our public broadcaster, really boring. Like just like the free-to-air networks, they really jazz up their bulletins. <laughs> like they add in the right mix of puff pieces, like advertorials with like serious news. Like they know how to like, oh, the car chase. Yeah, we got to like, there's good footage here. So, we've got to like, even though it's like not important, but it, they, you know, it's, so it's, it's entertainment, right? It's it's yeah. not It's not actually news. It's just. But what I was going to say is that, I think the gap for me is international news. I don't have a reliable outlet that I have chosen or stuck with to get more international news. I, I do think it's a bit of a, a bit of a hole, right? And so inevitably, you end up getting the really big stuff online. But I do feel I need to have a think about that. I, I think though, with news, like news is actually bad. Like news is bad for the soul, right? News is just what's the thing that happened today and Almost by definition, it's not important. It's just the thing that happened. But like the things that really are important, like the things that that they're not just one single day events, they're more trends, right, over time. So, some people might say, for example, climate change, right, as a thing is, or or we've had this whole thing about AI, like in in this year around ChatGPT and what does that all mean? And these are things which then there's no single news event, right? So, news as a a vehicle to pay attention to the most important things is actually really quite poor. But if you actually want to learn about those topics and yeah, pay right. attention to the really, actually the things that matter, I'm like where 
on a podcast here, but I'm a big consumer of podcasts, right? Yeah. And that's probably where I would get most of my kind of information on things that are actually important, not just oh, a puppy threw up and on a some rich woman's dress in Vaucluse kind of thing. I agree with you. And I do think there's this phenomenon that happens where news is trying to, the cycle, the news cycle is trying to give you frequent updates. And actually when you, the longer the updates, the longer the frequency, the longer in between times of checking a, a particular news topic, the more accurate it will be. So if you're trying to check every day how a certain thing is unfolding, you'd be better off just checking at the end of the week, so to speak. So that's what we're trying to do here at the middle, and I think that's a good closing note, is we're going to give you last week's news today. Um, that's, so a it's, um, that's a slogan we should put on the T-shirt, <laughs> last week's news today. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's, it's today, um, this, this episode is going to be released on.